Nina tried to set me up with her webcam this morning and her, I have like three computer screens in front of me right now, but I'm just sitting in the dark with my little laptop. Well, you look vibey. You're vibey as hell with that blue light behind you. The blue is something. It's the fish tank. It looks like a CSI scene behind you. Like, not going to like what you find. Well, that was something (laughs) else that I considered as a job, as a career. You would have been so great at it. No joke. I wanted to be a crime scene investigator. With a black light looking for mysterious stains that light up in odd places. I can't think of anything I want to do less than that. All right. I really tried to have my shit together with this one because I'm equal parts excited and nervous again you're you're skited i know i'm skited i don't make you nervous well no because i just respect you and you're you're a a respected authoritarian figure in my life authoritarian (laughs) which i think that you like i know it's flattering (laughs) i don't want to be like uh i don't want to intimidate people well you do but in a good way like not in a um fear i'm gonna be in trouble type of a way but a fear as in want to make you proud kind of way you know that's very sweet so anyways welcome to another episode of win some lose some resilient in real estate we have button up buttercup back we have lila how was your vacay hello i don't have on a button up today i'm sorry um it was great i know this is strike two i'm just gonna have to stop calling you that because you really came in strong and now you're just like yeah i'm not wearing one today i thought about you when i packed my suitcase though the other week because that was 90 percent of my suitcase so that's why they're just all in the laundry travels well lightweight yeah can dress it up or dress it down How uh, how was fam time? Mom's farm, right? It was good. We did the yeah. farm. We did um, an afternoon in Seattle and then stayed the night there just because it's closer to the airport. And we went to the Museum of Pop Culture, which if you live in that area, I highly, highly recommend. We had so much fun with the kids. There was a big thing on like 80s and 90s pacific northwest like rock music so it was about nirvana pearl jam there was an amazing art installation with photography featured from like a little bit of like late 80s and then 90s rap and r&b icons it was it was so cool we loved it so your boys were into it oh they were so into it they weren't like on board of uh, this museum no they love museums they're down at least that kind that it was like you know there was like a video game area like going through the history of video games and then my kids were all excited about, this is going to make me sound so old. Can't wait. I don't know. Some rapper that wears a metal, like, Batman looking mask. Oh, MF Doom. MF Doom. See? There you go. No idea. Shout out. I feel like I'm always shouting out Tom, but I only know MF Doom because of Tom. He likes him a lot. Yeah, my son loves him. My 13-year-old. Welcome back. Thanks. Happy to have the Robin to my Batman. Oh, I missed you, Batman. Okay, well, today we have Nathan Weinberg. If you remember a couple episodes ago, we had Jennifer Weinberg, his wife. So now we've got the other half. Uh, Nathan Weinberg is principal broker and co-founder of MW Real Estate Company, co-founder of Retrograde Coffee, and co-founder of Stallman Hospitality. He sits on boards of Casa Nashville, which is the court-appointed special advocates, as well as GNR, Greater Nashville Realtors, and Realtracks. He is the proud father of two absolute wonderful lunatics and has been a more or less happy realtor for 14 years. So, Nathan, thank you for hanging out with us this morning. Thanks for having me. 
You have been so wonderfully supportive of this podcast. I feel like most episodes you send us a little, a cute little group text of, hey guys, great up. And it just warms my heart. It makes me feel so good because there are a few people who I want affirmations from more than you. <laughs> well, it's been a bright spot on Fridays. Like it's been a really nice, gosh, like in an industry that can just like kick you in the teeth until Friday. It's so nice to hear people being vulnerable and happy and I'm excited. I haven't listened to today's and I'm super excited about it because he's a good friend of mine, but I just have really enjoyed them. They're they're wonderful and great perspectives. Well, thank you very much. Um, you wear a lot of different hats. Like I just read in your bio, you know, some commercial, some residential, your co-founder of MW. And I mean, how do you have time to to do all of these things? Like, are you a planner? Do you time block? Do you map out your weeks? Like, what does that look like from managing all that? Mm. Yeah, I um, I don't like, I mean, if you map it out, I, I don't have time to do all those things, but you prioritize and you make time for the things that are of interest to you. And so I'm really lucky. I'm supported by groups of people that are excellent self-managers. We have a wonderful office manager at MW who does a lot more than she was hired to do, which is super great. And I'm supported at home too. And so I like, I, this is one of those weird, like be, being an entrepreneur, you cannot be a successful entrepreneur if you're not supported at home. And so that either means one of two things. You are perpetually single because then there's nobody to either support or deny you the opportunities to do mm -hmm. things, or you've got loving people that are, there for you in the good and the bad. And so I'm really lucky to have that at home. And then I, I just have these really thoughtful, beautiful souls that support me in all these businesses. And so I'm really lucky. Lila is one of them. And I'm proud to have her as a part of this team. And all of our realtors at MW are just such wonderful go-getters. And so the, the, it, the, requirement of my time is much more limited than it maybe seems like on the surface. It just, I, I come in and I provide the advice that I can at the moment that I can, and they decide whether or not it's worth a damn and then they move on. I echo what you say about the support system, because I think coming out of the pandemic and also in real estate, I feel like, div like divorce is really common. Yeah. It just seems like so many people that I know are have gone through a divorce or are going through a divorce. And I think that's really common in real estate too. And I think people get in one half of the partnership gets into it. And the other partner is like, oh, well, I didn't sign up for this or doesn't realize how demanding the work is or how stressful it is, whether you're home or whether you're not home. And yeah. so, yeah, I think you kind of have to have that partner that's up, up for the challenge with you through all of this. Yeah. It's so funny because well, it's funny and sad. Like, I shouldn't just say it's funny, but like, I remember when the first lockdown sure. happened, it wasn't 72 hours before my phone rang with the first person was like, we're getting a divorce. I need you to sell my house. It's like, whoa, you guys do not like being in a house together. <laughs> that, by the way, led to maybe the most complicated real estate deal I've ever done. And like, I'll, I'll be happy to share it at some point, but like really incredible. Was it just emotional? Was it, or was it no. messy or was it a, a unique property or what? So super quick. That was number one. Like it all happened really fast and it was all total kismet. 
Like I had these folks that wanted to get divorced. So, and they had a house that I had built for them and they both wanted to then buy houses. Simultaneously, I had a client who I had sold a house to say that they were moving and they needed to sell their house. And so I knew that that house was good for one half of the group that was getting divorced. Then the other half of that group wanted to buy a house too. And it was very clear that the house that she wanted was a house that she really couldn't have. But in that moment, the person that owned that house that I also had built said, hey, we kind of want to move. And I was like, oh, I got the perfect house for you, which is this house of this couple that's getting divorced. So the half that was getting divorced bought that house. Those people sold that house and bought their house. All of this had to happen in the course of like three weeks. It was really fast. Imagine, oh my God, like anything could have gone gone wrong. I could have just spoken a little too loudly. Yeah. And like the fairies would have just come crashing down. I remember getting done with it. And like, if I had had a chalkboard, it would have been one of those boards that has like strings, like going in every single direction. And I got done with it. I was like, I don't even, I'm not even sure that I understand how this all happened, <laughs> but it happened and it's going down as the most complex, incredible, and everyone was happy. Like every single person was happy. I can't believe it. Absolutely. The maestro, Nathan Weinberg. <laughs> yeah, it was super cool. It was timing. Like, I don't feel like I get to have a ton of credit for it. Like it all just worked out. It just, and it'll never happen again. It'll never happen like that again. But who was glad as there when it did. Yeah. No, that's just one of the wins that you take and know that that's not how it goes every time. So again, what a gift perspective is. Oh my God. For sure. But no, that that reminds me of like one of the little cheap toys that you get in like some sort of a goodie bag or trick or treating for like the vegan gluten-free household where you get the little plastic square and all of the squares are mixed up and you try and move this one to the left and then move this one to the right and up and down to get some like unicorn jumping <laughs> over the rainbow yeah in when i get those what ends up happening is i just take them apart and put the squares where they belong <laughs> <laughs> oh i've done that yeah so are you do you show homes i mean are you are you with clients at all or are you just kind of the man in charge um i will show houses to people that i have very close relationships to which this makes me sound really old but now that means that i'm showing a lot of houses to children of people that i have relationships with i do have like a personal limitation on it though like and it it is not egomaniacal i just cannot possibly be an excellent realtor if i exceed this amount of time so if i'm gonna show people houses they get a day with me. And that's exactly as much as I can give them and still be good at my job. And so if we can't find something in that day, which is that's the normal market, right? Like you can't find something in a day, then I'm lucky. I've got lots of people that can pick up from where I left off and nobody feels like they're left out in the the wind swinging. I just, I, I can't, I want people to have great experiences. I always want them to have great experiences. And it's not a great experience of me if by the end of the day, my phone does not stop ringing sure. or buzzing or dinging, and I'm clearly distracted, and I've run my third stop sign for the day, and, like, everybody's panicking, and, like, so much is on fire because I haven't spent any time focused on other things. So, 
Like one day is it. There's so many realtors that are going to listen to this. And they're going to be like, the fuck kind of business is that? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, and that's, that's why, you know, we talked about all the hats that you wear and again, into development and Lily Hall. And, you know, you have a lot of really important irons wow. in the fire. And I think one of the things that we talk about is in this business, doing what hopefully helps you create a sustainable and successful business, but also what helps you feel joy and what excites you and what lights you up. And so I think that you do all the things to help you have a sustainable and successful career, but they're all a little bit different in all these different avenues, because I I feel like they all are little puzzle pieces of you that light up different parts of your brain and your heart. So, and the realtor piece is maybe where, you know, it started, but as you've grown, all these little branches have grown too, which is awesome. But starting as an agent, I mean, why did you start MW, you know, saying you want everyone to have an awesome experience? Is that, did you feel like you weren't able to offer an awesome experience at other brokerages or you want something different with MW? I mean, why, why did you start MW? That's a great question. So I, I think there's two big reasons that MW was created. One was we felt like, and I'm part of a team. So I think it's important to acknowledge that we felt as a team that we had achieved a place in real estate where we were no longer providing much to the brokerage that we were working for other than money. Just there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But I I do feel like brokerages need to be places of give and take and that we weren't getting much from that brokerage other than just a place to hang our license. And so it made a lot of sense to start our own outfit. So that was number one. But number two, and I think more importantly, was I was getting really frustrated with the lack of professionalism that existed in the real estate industry. A lot of it was not the fault of the people that I was frustrated with. It was the fault of the people that had hired them or allowed them to hang their licenses there because they let them hang their license and they didn't give them anything. They're like, here, you go be a realtor now okay, I'll help people buy hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of things and maybe move their families in the right direction, but probably not because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And so- Thrown to the wolves a little bit. Yes. So I was doing, I literally was doing twice the work for half the money. And I was like, that's, it's not sustainable mentally or physically. And I don't want our industry to devolve into a place where people are literally like, putting their lives in people's hands, their financial lives. Nobody's dying out here, like their financial lives in people's hands and just hoping for the best. And, you know, a dickhead with a real estate license suddenly is like, oh, I found this super cool house. I love it. I bet you will too. Mm -hmm. And it's like a one bedroom condo in the Gulch and they have six kids. Like, what are you doing, dude? And so I just felt like we needed something different. And like, it makes it sound like I'm, I was ready to solve all of the industry's problems. And I think in, in my head, I maybe did think that, but I kind of think one agent at a time. And so we've been really lucky. Like we've hired people that I felt like they had the, the basic DNA to be successful at that. And then they used the knowledge that we had to just make themselves that much better. Almost every, well, no, every realtor at MW right now is a better realtor than I am. And that makes me super happy and proud. Like really, like honest to God better. And because they took all the things that they were already good at and then took the pieces of knowledge that I could give to them and they created this super being of realtor. And like, that's super cool to watch. I dig that all day long. Yeah. 
do you feel competition with other brokerages in terms of whether that's like volume or sales or agents or anything? No, I don't give a shit. Like it, there, there is, uh, there is plenty of business for all of us. And if other brokerages feel competitive or imposed upon, that's fine. I don't care. Like I am the like. If you know me, I am maybe the most competitive person on the planet. But that's not who I'm competing with. Like I'm, I'm more often than not competing with myself. I love and I'm really lucky to be associated with and deep deep friendships with so many people from other brokerages and I love them and respect them. And I think that they are doing a great job. What are some unique challenges that you're seeing today that you're either seeing for the first time or have seen very few times since becoming an agent almost 14 years ago? Well, I'm lucky to be able to answer this like three weeks post market shift. Um, something that was really disturbing for me through the pandemic and really the last three and a half years were agents providing advice that their clients should vacate all their contingencies. So it's especially inspection contingencies on houses. And I, I just, I couldn't get my head around it. it. Like even a week ago, I had an agent call and say, well, what gets the deal done? Do we waive our inspections? Like, no, no, no. And I had the listing, by the way. So, like, I, I my skin in the game was for my seller, but like, I can't, in good conscience, let somebody spend that much money on something and not know what's going on with the house. Like, it's okay to say pass fail. Like, that's totally okay. At least show me that you're gonna know what the the bones of that house look like, and so then you can make informed decisions later on about how you prioritize repairs or improvements or things like that. So that's been a really disturbing trend. I think one of my fears, and I was glad to see that it didn't come to fruition, was the kind of speculation that led to our market crash in 2008 or 2007, 2008. I was really worried that we were going to find people doing derivatives of that over the course of the last three years. And while there has been significant institutional investment in Nashville and around the country, we're not seeing the same kind of speculation post-market. And so what I mean by that is people aren't creating options around people's lives and assets. So they're not making bets on whether people are going to pay their mortgage or not. And let's like just pause for a second to say how disgusting that was in the first place, and then acknowledge that it never should happen again. And despite the lack, the, the rollback of regulation over the last four five years, we haven't seen it come back. And so that's really good. I think even the worst people on the planet were like, oh, that was pretty bad. Maybe we won't do that again. For sure. Um, and so I'm encouraged to see that. And then I think that thing that does worry me is I have, I've seen so many new agents come into the marketplace. And again, they are entirely untrained. They come out passing their tests and they've been given exactly this much, you know, zero knowledge on how to actually be a realtor. And they just, they bore into their head, okay, there's X number of square feet in, a, in an acre and it's useless. And so like, how do you be a realtor? Well, you gotta be a salesperson. Like you have to understand what sales really is. And sales is not used car salesman. Sales is a lot of listening and it's a lot of understanding the subtext of what people are saying and then serving that subtext in a way that actually makes people believe that you're anticipating their needs when really they've told you everything that they need to tell you. And so I just, 
I love the psychology of sales. And I don't think that people spend enough time thinking about what that actually is. And so I worry a lot about these new agents that are spending a lot of money becoming realtors and they're not being given the kind of mentorship or the kind of one-on-one attention that they deserve. Salespeople aren't classroom learners. They're just not. And like we are right-brained and that doesn't make a lot of sense because we think of right-brained people as painters, musicians and whatnot, but salespeople are like good salespeople are super creative. Yeah. Like that's how they get deals done. And so they're right-brained. And so they're not, they're the squirrel people, right? Like they're like, what? Squirrel. Off I go. And like, we have to acknowledge that and putting them in these classrooms and be like, okay, you're a realtor now. It's nonsense. Like. 10 minutes into that class, they got their fidget spinner out and they were just sitting there like, and they didn't hear anything you said. Like we need one-on-one time. We can't think of this business as a volume, like numbers make the deals work. We need less agents that are Mm. better at their jobs. Yeah. I mean, and that goes back to like, you know, why you started MW really wanting to create a space for agents to grow and become great at their craft. And I think one of my favorite parts of this industry and a conversation that we had with Robbie, we talked about just because you're closing a bunch of homes doesn't necessarily mean that you're a great agent yes. and going back to, That's right. you know, waiving all the contingencies. Obviously I only work with buyers and all those contingencies are in place to protect the buyer. So yeah. it's very, very uncomfortable to get a contract and to just see all caution thrown to the wind and you just go with it because it, they're under contract and the the all you can do is go over what is on the contract with them, make sure they understand. And the worst feeling in the world is when they don't understand and what is on the contract was not thoroughly explained by the agent. And so I agree, Yeah. less agents or really spend time listening and educating your client. And the relationship that you have with the lender and the listing agent, or if you're on the list side, the buyer's agent. So, you know, it's before you move on from this, I think it's really important to acknowledge like those contingencies. Yes, they are 95% for those buyers, but they're for the sellers too. Those contingencies, the ability to inspect the house protects a seller from a buyer coming back after the sale and saying, you didn't tell me about this. You didn't disclose this. Like, Mm -hmm. I I didn't know that that was there. I didn't know this condition Mm -hmm. was present. And so when those inspections don't happen, nobody's telling their sellers like you, you're opening yourself up to post sale risk, even if they've signed every, every single piece of paper that says that they're not at liability for anything. The one piece of paper they didn't sign was you can't sue me. Right. And so you're at liability, like you make it so that they don't have a reason to feel that way after the sale. Interesting point. I didn't think about that. Talking about market and market shift and Fed just raised the federal funds rate, another 75 basis points. Hopefully curb inflation um, rates are higher than they have been in the past few years. So I want to talk about the R word recession. And again, you started, I think, in 2009 during that recession. And a lot of indicators are pointing towards a recession now, though very different circumstances than the factors that led to the economic crisis over 10 years ago. So what lessons or insight did you take away from that recession that you could speak on today to help other agents and their clients? Uh, I think there's a couple things. Um, 
you said it, how we define recession is really important. The mathematical definition of recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. And GDP is a single marker Mm -hmm. for production. But what it doesn't take into account is a lot of really important things. So our GDP is entirely reliant on exports. And what has been in the news for the last fucking 14 months, nothing can get in and out of our ports. So I don't know that our GDP is actually a real number right now. I think that's really important to note. Employment is not taken into account. We have record low unemployment. It's three and a half percent in this country. I actually think it's less than that. I think it's 3.2. Um, we don't have the bubble conditions. So GDP or supply and demand govern everything. And there presently remains still not enough supply to meet demand. Mm-hmm in every sector of the housing market. So not just the sales, but also in rentals, in low income, in all of these places, there's not enough supply to meet the demand. Regardless of how much money people are making or not making, they still need a place to live. For sure. And so we have to think about that differently. In 2007, what led to that, it was the dominoes falling. So I alluded to this earlier. It was people were betting on... They were doing short. They were shorting the market. That's what it's called in the, in the stock world. But they were making bets that people wouldn't pay their mortgages. It was the subprime lending world, right? So it's these no-doc loans. And what ended up happening was well, they, they were right. Like <laughs> People couldn't pay their mortgages. And so people had invested in these funds. And suddenly, trillions of dollars disappeared because people weren't making good on their loans. And so that led to a freezing of the banks saying, we're not giving anybody any money anymore. Like, we, we, we got to figure out what we did here. And so what did that do? That arrested the forward momentum of people buying. I had a friend who was five days from closing in 2007. He was with, I think it was Countrywide or something like that. It was one of the big ones that imploded. And they said, we can't close your loan. He could have closed his loan. He was ready to close. Like nothing in his life had changed that would have prevented him from getting a loan. He remained employed. He remained employed well after that, but the bank wouldn't give him his money. And so that led to people defaulting on contracts. It led to litigation. So it's just all of these terrible things that happened. We aren't seeing that right now. So the recession that we might feel is more like, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Like, it's normal. Like, let, let's just embrace what it is. Like, let's just let, let's let things just cool. Like, everybody just take a deep breath. It's okay. Things are going to get out the door. We're seeing people employed. There are not significant layoffs happening anywhere in any sector. There remains a robust demand. Mm-hmm. The only thing that has cooled and it's good and the Fed is doing a good job is there is, in fact, more inventory for consumer goods, and that leads to less panic buying, which has been the primary factor in driving up costs on the consumer price index. Housing is seeing uh, not a leveling off, but a more traditional appreciation right now. I think if we take a, if we snap a line right now, if you ask me again in six months, I bet you we're going to see housing prices, instead of going up 20% annually, they're going to level off around five or 6% annually, which is healthy, traditional housing price growth. 
And so I was just on, in fact, I was on a webinar 30 minutes ago with Laurel Grafee, who I'm actually going to, if any realtors are watching this, you need to register for Nationomics now, next week. It's called Nationomics now. I'm not saying you need to register for Nationomics now. It's Nationomics now. It's next week. You should register for it now <laughs> with Laurel Grafee, who is the, um, the, the vice president of the Atlanta Bank, the Federal Reserve for Nashville. It's a stupid title, but. You're going to need to post about this because this episode isn't going to come out for a month, Nathan. Oh. So you're going to just need to. It's not going to be. So it's all edited. So who cares? Yeah. I can say whatever I want right now. Well, you can. Yeah. It's, no, it's not live. But when you say it's coming <laughs> out, it registered now for next week. You're going to be a month behind. You should have registered a month ago <laughs> for this thing that you missed. <laughs> Anyways, she was just talking about this and it was really fascinating. And like, I like listening to economists talk about things because. They look at whole pictures and they look at things the way that the Fed looks at things, which is what are the factors that we have to influence to change things? The Federal Reserve is trying to do something that is almost impossible to do, which is create a soft landing so they can reduce inflation to three and a half percent. And to do that, they have to increase the cost to buy things, which means the consumers pull back on their spending. And then people that are providing the goods start to find a glut in their warehouses. This is happening right now with Walmart, by the way. So it is working and they reduce prices. And so that's how we curb inflation. Inflation is the key factor in whether or not we go into what I would describe as an actual recession because wages need to keep up. And right now they're not. Even though we've seen record wage growth, it has not kept up with inflation. Right. So I think that's really important. So big takeaways, recessions, not uncommon. Recessions come and go and everyone needs to take a deep breath, listen to economists who are taking in the big picture and not hyper-focusing on something and panicking. Yeah. Turn off CNBC. And maybe turn off the news. There you turn go. off your Jeez. TV. Like, yeah. Watch something fun. Go go watch uh, Jeff Lewis build something. Oh. Like, like just something fun. So Nathan, what's your healthiest habit and what's your unhealthiest habit? Oh God, I have so many unhealthy habits. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I think my healthiest, so I have two healthy habits. I exercise regularly. And when I don't, I really feel it. I recognize that I have an unhealthy relationship with food and I'm not ready or willing to do anything about it because I love food so much. And so I can only do one thing there, which is I'm going to work out. I'm going to, I'm going to work my muscles. <laughs> I'm going to take the dog for walks. I'm going to do all the things that do that for me. My other really healthy trait is I read every single day. I get up at five o'clock every morning and I sit downstairs quietly by myself and I read. It's the mm -hmm. only time of my day that I'm guaranteed to be alone and quiet. And so I read everything. I like I will read the news first, which is super depressing. And so then I go to fiction because then it can be whatever I've decided it's going to be. Um, Your escape. Yep. And I will often read like very specific municipally generated news articles that are helpful to me and my businesses. I don't give a shit about national news. Like it just, it, what the president says or does doesn't like if they're an asshole or they're not, doesn't matter to me on a local level. I care a lot about what the mayor says. I care a lot about what our city council people do and don't do. Yeah. And so those are my healthy habits. My least healthy habit, I think I said it. So I love to eat. Uh, I'll eat anything. I, and I'll, if I really like it, I'll eat a lot of it. Um, uh, Thin mint cookies, 
are the best thing that's ever been created. And God bless the Girl Scouts for making them available year round. I think that uh, the Boy Scouts really missed the boat because they could have been making cookies this whole time. And instead, they're just. Uh, what are they doing? What do they do for fundraising? The Girl Scouts are crushing it. They sell bad popcorn, Amanda, like really oh. bad popcorn. I make popcorn in my microwave. I can't make Thin Mint cookies at home, Amanda. What can't about do people it. with ulcerative colitis? Those kernels are not going to well, be good for the colon. God, this went in a really shitty direction, and I'm not like super excited <laughs> about it. Colon, colon, and shitty. Um, okay. Do you feel like an unhealthy habit is um, keeping your Mercedes in the garage and not <laughs> selling it? Hey, you haven't sold it. Please reach out to Jennifer Weinberg if anyone is interested in purchasing a 1974 Mercedes. It's a 1973. <laughs> Let's be very clear, clear about it. It's a 1973. Oh, okay. 450 SL and no, I haven't. And I need to, it's less about me not wanting to sell it and more about me needing it to come out of the garage and clean it and take pictures of it. Does it run well? Yeah. Oh, well, we should chat. You're not buying that car. Maybe, maybe it could come out of your garage and down the street. Okay. And then you can drive it when you want to for funsies. I don't want to drive. I've driven it. Like I wanted it to, I wanted (laughs) it to be I wanted it to be a date car and Jennifer took a look at it and like sniffed it. And she's like, no, thank you. And so <laughs> like, no, we, we no longer have a date car. I have a stinky car. My car literally sets off the carbon monoxide detector in the garage every time. Oh, crap. And so, cause it's old, like it's just, it smells yeah. like gaps and old people. People smoked and people didn't wear seat belts and they kind of, had a little bit too much carbon monoxide intake. It was the good old days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Only good things happened in the 70s, right? Yeah. So random personal question. When you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, this is this is good. I desperately wanted to be an astronaut. Like desperately wanted to be an astronaut. Mm. I remember watching Space Camp over and over and over again. And I had every book about space and being at NASA, and I knew everything about it. So much so that last year when um, SpaceX put people in space again, I started crying in the living room. Like, it was just so beautiful for me. Second to that, I really wanted to be a policeman and nearly achieved that goal. And my mother is so happy I didn't. I was going to be a California Highway Patrolman, and I had been hired by them. And then the economy tanked. See, it's the intimidation thing. I think that I think that you could have been good at that. You would have been very cute in <laughs> a I don't think guys like to hear cute. You would have been very handsome in an astronaut. Oh suit, yeah. But I could For see sure. you as a highway patrolman getting out of the car and I think your whole <laughs> the shades on the car in front of you. Oh shit. Whoever's got pulled over is going I would, down. I would uh-huh. have been punch. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I really like I, I, I was really excited about it and my family was not and I didn't care. Given what's happened over the last few years, I think it was probably a blessing in disguise, but I, I really felt I had a I had a serious goal with it. So I wanted to be a California Highway Patrolman, but I didn't really want to like be that guy out on the freeways. I wanted to be um on the governor's protective detail. And so like that's where I wanted to so go with specific. it. Oh yeah. No, I was I was like I knew where I wanted to be. So when did that end? Was that like elementary school or or did that kind of take you like through higher education or what? Yeah, the policeman thing ended in 2005, 
So I, I think it was 2005. So I, I'd been hired by the California Highway Patrol. I'd gone through the physical testing. I'd been given an offer letter. I had a start date. And then the state of California went on a hiring freeze and they rescinded all the offer letters that they wow. put out. And I took it as a sign and stayed in hotels. And that was not a terrible thing. So cool. I had no idea. I did not either. And I, I feel like I know you relatively well, but I did well, guess... Uh, astronaut in my mind before you said it so if you saw me cover my mouth it's because i got so excited that Hmm. that just feels like you so here's a random fact about me like i had in preparation for that job i had memorized the california like municipal and penal codes and so like to date uh, it's a weird trait of mine like (laughs) i'll be going down the road and i read everyone's license plates still like i look for active tags i can it drives jennifer crazy like I'll call out traffic violations and all the things that I would have like written people up for. It's not. It's it seems like an Oliver thing to do. Totally. Oh, absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. You wouldn't want to get a ticket from Oliver. Oh my God. What so, a, yeah. what? Yeah. Go ahead, Lila. Go ahead. I just have, this is not related to the highway patrol. So if we want to stay there, Amanda, feel free to ask no, your questions. Mine wasn't either. Total you pivot. Um, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier with all of your, I don't want to call them side hustles because they're pretty remarkable businesses. They're all full-time jobs. They're all full-time jobs. So we've got Lily Hall in Pensacola, um, which I think has a really interesting story behind it and how you acquired the building. And I would love for you to share with people kind of how you guys came upon that and what's going on there. Cause I, for one, and I know Amanda is too, like we're really pumped about coming to visit and, and staying there. So I think you have to go back um, like 20 years. So I was in the hotel management and it was my passion. It remains my passion. Hospitality management remains something I'm very passionate about. And so that's something that sort of gives you very basic background. But um, a rule that my business partner, Steve, and I have is that when we get in a rut on something, we just don't feel like things are exciting anymore or that there's things to do. We'll pick a location that's an easy one-way ticket and we'll jump on a plane and go just poke around. We don't know what we're going to do there. We don't know what we're looking for there. We don't know what the end goal is. We don't know any of that. And so you just show up. And as it turns out on this one, our friend Troy was in sort of a similar position. And we said, all right, we're going to, the three of us are going to go for two days. And we know a realtor there we're going to connect with. We know few other people that we're going to connect with and we're just going to see what we can get into. And so we went down to Pensacola. I knew nothing about Pensacola. I knew that there was a giant naval air station there. I knew that like all of my Top Gun dreams sort of came from that part of the world. But other than that, I didn't know anything about it. And we drove around and we looked at a bunch of stuff and it wasn't very exciting. And, and Pensacola felt very sort of sad to me. Like it seemed like a place that just it had all the elements to make it exciting and great. And it had just been sort of bastardized by people that just didn't know what the hell they were doing. And so they built these shiny, stupid hotels on the beach and then forgot about the place that actually made the city like vibrant and cool. And he, our realtor pulled up in front of this derelict church that had been sitting there since Hurricane Ivan. And he's like, what about this? This is on the, the Pensacola list of the seven most endangered buildings in the city and it's for sale we're like hey kind of cool like i don't know what we do with it like do we what do we do we make it into condos do we you know turn into office space like what do we do it's in this little neighborhood called old east hill and we sort of we looked at it we're like this is really cool and it's in kind of good condition considering 
what's happened to it over the years. And so we went and had lunch and we were sitting there talking. We were like, well, what are, we don't have a great track record of building things out of state. Like we just don't have enough eyes to put on it. We don't know any general contractors here. Like what can we really do? And Troy and Steve kind of looked at me. They're like, you're in hotels, right? It's like, yeah. It's like, well, what about a hotel there? And I'm like, well, yeah, that sounds really fun. Like what a cool idea. Let's go back. And so we went back and a few months later we had sort of developed this idea for a, a lodging house in Pensacola and we got lending, we got architecture, we did all the things that we knew how to do and we were ready to start. And, uh, <laughs> then the, the pandemic happened and all the banks were like, Oh, 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 oh we're not giving you money for a hotel. Like, that's crazy. Nobody's traveling. We're not doing that. <laughs> and we were devastated. Like we had, we had figured this out. We had substantial investments, time, money, energy into these things. And we just like, none of us liked the word no. And so we weren't going to take no for an answer. And so we spent Steve, really Steve put like his shoulder into it, um, spent a lot of time finding us a lender. And as it turns out, our lender was someone that we knew here and had a great business relationship with and hadn't thought about asking because it just seemed so preposterous. And they were like, yeah, I love it. Let's do it. And so we brought them down there and they believed what we had to say. And we, we had made it easy for them to say yes. We hired a company to come out and do a feasibility study. So they didn't have to take our word for it. Like here, this is how good it is. I had all of this market research. Jennifer had pulled all of this STR data to confirm that lodging and hotels were doing incredible in the wake of the recession, that Airbnb was a platform that was poised for year over year growth of like 150%. It was silly, like a number that was silly. And all the banks were like, yeah, but, yeah, but and here's the big takeaway because this ties back into real estate. And I apologize to lenders that listen to this. Everybody said it was a bad idea, except one. And now they get to reap the rewards of it. And hotels in Pensacola have seen year-over-year growth from 2021 to 2022, something like 60%, and revenue growth of something similar to that. And like, shame on you, Pensacola banks, for not like getting out of your own fucking way. What a sh what a shame! Stop. Turn off. Like, you go to a bank and all you see on the TV is CNBC and Fox News, and it's it's entertainment for the lowest common denominator. Like. Stop it. Turn that shit off. Listen to people that know what they're talking about. Yeah. Like, go get out of your office. Take your stupid tie off and go out and, like, go listen to some a restaurant owner tell you how they ran out of, uh, of shawarma <laughs> this week because they were so damn busy. And then tell me how bad the economy is. Like, it's such a stupid problem. And so, like, now we're building a hotel and it's Nashville money and it should have been Pensacola money. And it could have been, but we're really proud because all of our makers are local. All of the people that are building the thing are locals who believed in the project. Um, the sole outside investments are us and our lender. And that's okay. So cool. Yes. Well, I want to start slowly uh, descending here as we reach our, our closing destination. Yeah. But um, <laughs> this podcast is, is called Win Some, Lose Some. So I want to know where do you feel like you're winning? Where do you feel like you're losing? And then I'm also going to throw one out here. Working in this industry for so long, how do you um, how do you avoid burnout? And 
what continues to be motivating you in an industry that I find completely exhausting. Take it away. <laughs> Did you get all that? Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. I am winning in my human resources. Like the people that are around me are remarkable and I'm so proud to know them. And I was telling Jennifer this morning, like I love that people around me right now are finding joy in things and that that is really motivating and uplifting. And so my human resources are where I'm winning. Uh, I am losing in like very few places. Like I am hashtag blessed in every way imaginable. Um, but I am losing in time. I don't give myself enough personal time to, to go and answer the last question, which is how do you stay, you know, cogent and present and fulfilled in a market that feels really exhausting. Don't give myself enough time, but I am reminded every day that if I follow my, my credos, my sort of base rules of existence, that I can be successful and that I can have the kind of success that's not, doesn't have an asterisk behind it. So it's not something I paid for. It's not something that I, I gave up something else for. And so if I follow those rules, then I will, I will be okay. Um, and those rules are a long story. And so they're not good for today, but like, I think that they're, they're really like helpful for me. At the end of every episode, we want to play a message from someone influential or important to our guest life. So obviously we have a message here from your wife, Jennifer. I'm going to go ahead and play this for you guys real quick. Hi, this is Jennifer Weinberg, Nathan's wife. I'm Oliver. I'm Leslie. And we're Weinberg. <laughs> and we're calling in to say how much um, we love Nathan. And we're just so proud of all the work he does in the community, in coffee shops, in real estate, in development, and in mentoring others. And especially working. kids. And working. Yeah, that's right. Just working. And being nice to people. And being nice to people. So we love you so much. Goodbye, Daddy. I love them. There they are. You're so loved. I love them. So for the five songs that you contributed to our winsome, lose-some playlist, uh, we have some classic dad jams here. Yeah. Neon Moon, some some Prince, um, Sinead O'Connor. Uh, wait, Nothing Compares to You, Sinead O'Connor by Prince. Is it a Prince cover of a Sinead O'Connor song? Prince wrote Nothing Compares to You. Sinead O'Connor did it, and then Prince hated it. Oh. Hated it. He hated her version, even though it went like, I don't know, like a hundred million platinum or some stupid shit like that. He hated it. Classic, classic indie dad war on drugs and then better man Pearl Jam. So can you pick one of those songs and uh, tell us a little bit about what it means to you and why you picked it? Um, better man by Pearl Jam. I grew up in Seattle in the 90s. And so I was present for the birth of grunge music and it has left an indelible mark on my life. And I think that Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and um, the Foo Fighters and all these 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 groups wrote music that uh, spoke to my soul. And you know, Prince is my uh, forever love. I will love Prince until I die. But grunge music and Pearl Jam in particular, I think uh, they've written music that talked about their moment in time and they're being present. And so this wish to be a better man is important to me. And I think that that's a, it's a great song. 
it's well i'm not a pearl jam fan i actually can't stand pearl jam but i know that i am in the minority there but one of my favorite songs i want to get better by bleachers is like a similar thing it's a it's a i want to get better i want to be a better man i want to be a better human just a uh i think a really cool anthem whenever i'm down or just struggling on a on a run and that comes on like the yeah. piano just like rips at the beginning and it's just really piercing and I, like that. I love it. Yeah. Pearl Jam did, he did a song called breathe that I really like too. It's really pretty. It's like a, it's like a lullaby. Cute. His, his voice gets that. <laughs> you make him sound like he's a uh, nickelback or some stupid shit. Like, <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> All right. In conclusion, is there anything that you want to mention? Anything that you want to say that we didn't go over or anything that you want to promote as the Nathan Weinberg. Yes. Yeah. I'm sad that we didn't talk about it. Court appointed special advocates is dear and dear to my heart. Um, Casa Nashville, there's Casas in every part of the country. So if you're listening to this anywhere else, go look for them. They do the kind of work that nobody hears about. They protect children in a way that nobody knows. Please go volunteer time, give them money. They need money. It's something I'm passionate about and I'm happy. I will, I will pause anything I'm doing anywhere at any moment in time to talk to anybody about CASA. It's a really great, great organization. I don't know too much about it other than you guys are always posting about it. Very vocal supporters of the organization. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for your, your time, Nathan. Again, I know that you're running around in 42 different directions. So give your fam a hug from all of us and go pack the shit out of that u-hole oh it's happening thank you nathan (laughs) thanks nathan i thank you thank you for listening to win some lose some resiliency in real estate if you believe in the mission of this podcast to talk about the wins and losses of life and real estate please share with a friend that could use a reminder that they're not alone in their struggles Also, rate, like, subscribe, comment, D, all the above. Just pick a random bubble like a Scantron. Also, be sure to visit winsomelosomepod.com for a list of all of our episodes and email winsomelosomepod at gmail.com if there's someone you think we should talk to. Lastly, let us know if you'd like to work with us because we'd love to work with you. Win some, lose some together.